Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Animaction. Welcome to the Animated 90s series, where I'll be doing the same thing I did for the Animated 80s, just, you know, 10 years later. But with that, I'll mention the usual spiel about subscribing if you love animation, and on that note, on with the new decade. I figured we may as well keep going with the format, so we'll look at what survived into this new decade. It's actually a really hefty list, with 26 different series being carried forward. The oldest of these survivors is 1983's Alvin and the Chipmunks on Networks, and Good Morning Mickey from the same year still on the Disney Channel. The rest are a pretty decent mix of shows from throughout the decade, with at least one series from every year hanging on. We had Muppet Babies and Danger Mouse from 84, Gummy Bears, The Raccoons, and The Fantastic World of Hanna-Barbera from 85, The Real Ghostbusters from 86, The Bugs Bunny and Tweety Show, DuckTales, and TMNT from 87. The latter years had a few more each still hanging on, though, with Garfield and Friends, Count Ducula, A Pup Named Scooby-Doo, Dr. Snuggles, David the Gnome, Winnie the Pooh, and Fantastic Max, representing 1988, and 1989 still giving us Rescue Rangers, Dink the Little Dinosaur, Paddington Bear, Beetlejuice, Captain N, Camp Candy, and G.I. Joe. Nice solid foundation of existing shows to start building the decade on. What didn't make the transition, though? Well, this group includes the Smurfs and Donald Duck Presents from 81 and 83, respectively, CBS Story Break and Thundercats from 85, both ELF series from 87 and 88, along with 88's Police Academy and This Is America, Charlie Brown, and The California Raisin Show, Further Adventures of Super Ted, Karate Kid, Ring Raiders, Vitor, Rude Dog and the Dweebs, and The Super Mario Brothers Super Show from 1989. In what may be a first for this series, or multiple series now I guess, we actually kept more than we lost. Is that a good thing or a bad thing as far as the impact on the new decade? 1980 had some good carryover from the 70s, but was followed by a couple sluggish years. We'll have to see if that happens here in the 90s, too. Let's take a look at this one. Well, the 90s kicks off with not only the 28 holdovers, but 25 new series of its own as well. And it's a pleasantly surprising mix. We have shows from various genres, things for several age groups, some experimental stuff, and even some mixed format shows popping up. The question for my action-loving self as we get pulled along by the unresistible flow of time is whether anything this decade brings with it is going to be able to provide the same feel as those shows we left behind. Comparing the 80s and 90s to each other will be a big part of the summary at the end of the series, so let's get our first peek in how that's likely to look by diving into these 25 new shows. Let's start out with the category that I identified as one of the most consistent through the 80s, which was new series based on classic characters and properties. Just like over the previous decade, there were several of these that appeared this year as well, but some of them brought a bit of a twist. Oddly enough, the same way that 1980 brought us some Universal Monsters with Drac Pack, 1990 does as well with the series Gravedale High. This one focused on a new generation of classic monsters, but has the twist of putting an unaware human into the mix. Even better, the human teacher character is played by the always awesome Rick Moranis. It's a typical fish-out-of-water comedy, and brings to mind quite a few anime like Rosario plus Vampire and Monster Masume just with less fan service. The Wizard of Oz made a comeback this year with an animated series that Deke produced after securing the rights to the original 1939 film. This one took all of the visual elements of the classic movie, but told adaptations of new stories throughout L. Frank Baum's Oz series, which some of you may not know was 14 books long, all published between 1900 and 1920. Speaking of books, Miguel Cervantes' 1605 and 15 two-part Don Quixote got an animated series this year as well. This one was called The Adventures of Don Coyote and Sancho Panda, and uses the same story basis of a mentally unstable knight and his squire traveling the land to right wrongs, just with anthropomorphic animals chosen for their pun value as characters. Continuing with the literary theme, J.M. Barrie's 1902 character Peter Pan got his first animated adaptation since 1953's Disney movie. It's exactly what it sounds like, continuing the adventures of Peter and the Lost Boys throughout Neverland. 
This one is important from a cartoon fan's perspective, as it was one of the first shows Fox Children's Productions had a hand in, making it kind of a precursor to Fox Kids. Speaking of older Disney movies, The Jungle Book made a kind of comeback this year too, but we'll talk more about that one later. The Looney Tunes characters were back again this year after having not really ever left, this time taking on the old Merry Melodies moniker, though not the format. It was really just a new package for rerunning old Looney Tunes shows. However, the Looney Tunes characters did show up in a second series this year that gave us something new and interesting, Tiny Toon Adventures. This series introduced a whole new set of characters, mostly being spiritual successors to the original Looney Tunes lineup, but placed them in a school setting with those classic characters being their instructors. This was actually a great idea, as it came with some familiarity, but as they were new characters allowed the creators to make them different than the older generation. Mostly. It didn't completely reinvent the wheel, but the show was a whole lot of fun, and that theme song? Pure masterpiece. Another set of classic characters getting the kidified treatment, though in the Muppet Baby style using the original characters, was Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry Kids came from Hanna-Barbera, and as such, essentially took the exact same recipe that the vintage T&J Shorts used, and just replaced the characters with younger versions of themselves. It even used the same format, with each episode being broken into three short segments. Definitely the most throwbacky throwback of all of these series. So remember how we got quite a few adaptations of movies and TV shows, and even a few series based on specific actors and characters there toward the end of the 80s? Well, that continued this year as well, with a surprising number of shows based on other media. On the movie front, we got a pair of new shows, one based on a movie from just the previous year, and one from a movie from way back in 78. The first one, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, was based on the movie of nearly the same name, although that was a single adventure, from 1989. As with the movie, it followed Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan's adventures through time, keeping history intact and working on graduating high school. It only got 21 episodes before being canned in favor of a live-action TV show, but those were a great 21 episodes where all of the main cast of the movie, including Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, and George freaking Carlin, reprised their roles. The year's second movie-turned-animation is based on one that's actually a big guilty pleasure for me, and was originally released in the year of my birth. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is an animated series loosely based on the nonsense slapstick comedy of the same name. Believe it or not, the series is considered an actual sequel to the original movie, set five years after humanity won the Great Tomato Wars against their fruity invaders. It followed the exploits of a tomato-turned teenage girl and her companion as they team up with members of the Finletter family to battle evil Dr. Gangrene. I guess we technically got a third animated series based on a movie this year as well, though that movie was also based on a comic book. The DC character Swamp Thing, having previously gotten a pair of live-action cinematic outings, one of which was directed by the great Wes Craven, appeared this year in a very short-lived animated series. The Swamp Thing cartoon ran for a disappointing five episodes, but failed to get picked up as a full series. Oddly, like Bill and Ted, this one also got a live-action TV version, but instead of as a replacement, it actually ran concurrently with the cartoon, kind of like ALF did a couple years back. One other noteworthy piece of trivia about this one is that it's the last animated series from DC that wasn't produced by Warner Brothers, and those are ones we'll definitely be talking about later in this series. A couple of actors got animated shows of their own this year too in the forms of Little Rosie and Bobby's World. Little Rosie was a short-lived 18-episode series loosely based on the childhood of comedian Roseanne Barr, as she and her friends used their imaginations to overcome typical kid problems. Bobby's World, however, wasn't necessarily based on an actor as much as it was created by one specifically the comedian Howie Mandel, who at this point is probably best known as the host of Deal or No Deal. The show was basically about a little kid with a hyperactive imagination and the various adventures he imagined himself in. Even though it's not necessarily based on Mandel's childhood directly, he and the show's other creators have said it takes inspiration from several of their own childhood experiences. 
Oh, and John Tesh co-wrote and performed the theme song. And speaking of theme songs, also this year, we didn't get any adaptations of TV shows. We did get a couple of series based on real-life musicians. The first was based on popular late 80s rap duo Christopher Kid Reed and Christopher Play Martin. This was part of a really big year for Kid and Play, as not only did they get their own animated series that followed a structure of Play coming up with get-rich-famous-quick schemes and Kid picking up the mess, but they also starred in the movie House Party, which was a pretty big hit, spawning two sequels and a reboot earlier this year. The cartoon, though, took a moral-of-the-story approach with each episode, generally focused on teaching kids to be responsible and stay out of trouble. The other musical act to get the animated treatment this year was, brace yourselves, ladies, the new kids on the block. This one didn't really have a story, instead just mixing live-action footage of the new kids with animated segments of them running into trouble on their way to one concert or another. Each episode tried to teach a moral lesson dealing with various social issues too, I guess. Oh, and it used their hit song, The Right Stuff, as its theme. The live-action segments and the theme song were all fans really got, though, as the animated versions of the group were voiced by professional actors. Can't say this is one I ever watched, or even knew about. Maybe it's because it only lasted 15 episodes. Or maybe it's because I could never really stand the new kids. Literature, screens, and record labels weren't the only other media to get in on the animated action this year. Video games continued their push into the cartoonosphere as well. We may have lost the Super Mario Bros. Super Show, but it got a replacement this year with The Adventures of Super Mario Bros. 3, sans Captain Lou. This one incorporated all of the new gameplay features that had appeared in the Super Mario Bros. 3 NES game when it released the year prior. It was pretty much the same thing as the previous SMB series, but without the live-action segments and with far more raccoon tales. However, it's a series about a legendary character that uses all of the window dressings from the best game in his series. Yeah, I said it. Best game in his series. And that made it pretty awesome. The other video game series we got this year, though, used, well, let's just say less popular characters? Characters that were so much less popular that I didn't even realize they had actual names in their games. Honestly, I still don't know if they do, or if the names they used were created for this show. The Power Team featured such non-famous faces as Max Force from the hyper-violent kill-everything game Narc, the Barbarian Kuros from the Wizards and Warriors games, a basketball player named Tyrone from the Arch Rival series, a little red alien thing named Quirk from the puzzle game of the same name, and Bigfoot, who's a monster truck. I wonder if this is where Rick and Morty got their inspiration for that heist episode. Anyway... Technically, this one wasn't even its own series, instead airing as a segment of the live-action video game review show Video Power on USA. In the episodes, the game characters would team up with an animated version of host Johnny Arcade to fight various game villains, but oddly never to face off against them in a basketball game. It was like a reverse Captain N, but based on worse games and characters. In the world outside of animation, 1990 also brought quite a conservationist movement when the decade came roaring in. Us 80s kids had heard about the hole in the ozone layer, the dangers of CFCs, and rising ocean levels too much over the past several years, and this year it was time to do something about it. Or at least watch cartoons about other people doing something about it. One of these shows came in the form of Widget the World Watcher, about a purple shape-shifting alien and his teenage team and companions, fighting against the exploitation of Earth's natural resources. The episodes had a rotating cast of both human and alien villains, and each dealt with some ecological disaster either in progress or in the making that Widget and his crew had to stop. And sure, it did a good job of introducing kids of the era to the ecological issues of the day, but there was another series this year that did it better. Captain Planet and the Planeteers basically told the same sorts of stories as Widget, but did so using a superhero, and it was honestly pretty great. It had some cool technology with the Ecojet, cool powers with the rings, 
cool character designs with the aforementioned superhero, a literal goddess, and a colorful roster of villains, and a diverse cast of young heroes providing representation for kids from all walks of life. Best of all, though, was the voice cast, especially in the first few seasons. The show had some heavy Star Trek The Next Generation cred, with LeVar Burton voicing the planeteer Kwame and Whoopi Goldberg as the goddess Gaia. It also had plenty of Hollywood representation with Jeff Goldblum, Ed Asner, John Ratzenberger, Dean Stockwell, and even Sting, the musician, not the wrestler, providing voices for various series villains. It's a pretty great series and has maintained its place in pop culture consciousness for decades now. In the Slice of Life category, 1990 brought us the series Zazu Yu, about a bunch of anthropomorphic animals in college getting up to various hijinks and antics. Think something like Monsters University mixed with Zootopia, but with a very strange mix of animals who wouldn't normally associate with each other. I don't really have much else to say about this series' 13 episodes, so we'll just move on. The next series we got kind of combines both Slice of Life and Adventure in the same way it combines live action and animation. Wake, Rattle, and Roll was the story of a kid and his robot companion who was made out of old tape decks and VCRs and stuff, and their daily lives in the kid's eclectic inventor grandfather's basement. The live-action segments feature the pair using a time machine to meet historical figures, or using remote controls to turn each other into cartoons and movie characters, or some similar shenanigans. It also had two animated shorts that aired as part of it. One was called Monster Tales, which was about the Universal Monsters' pets living together and getting into adventures. Each pet was essentially the anthropomorphized version of their respective master, which was actually kind of an interesting spin on the source material. The other series was called Fenderbender 500, and it was basically an updated version of Wacky Races for a new generation. This one featured an all-star lineup of classic Hanna-Barbera characters competing in various races. It also had Shadow Stevens, who I remember as the Hollywood Squares guy, as the race announcer, so that was kind of cool. Moving along to shows that were more regular adventure-focused, we have a series called Midnight Patrol, Adventures in the Dream Zone. That's Midnight Patrol, not Midnight Society. They show up later in the decade. The Midnight Patrol was a group of four kids and the dog Potsworth, who's actually the main character, and UK viewers may even remember this one as Potsworth and Company, as that's what it aired as over there, and it followed them as they protected the Dream Zone from the evil Nightmare Prince and his schemes. In the Dream Zone, each of the kid has superpowers, with Potsworth himself gaining the ability to speak, which he did with a generically British accent. I say generically because even though I know there are several different accents in England, we Americans identify all of them as British, even those done by Dick Van Dyke and Keanu Reeves. Lastly, I just kind of want to point out that this cartoon feels an awful lot like Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors, which is funny because Wes Craven made another appearance earlier on this list, but I digress. Finally in this category was yet another anthropomorphic animals with their own world and society show, The Pigsburg Pigs. This one was set in the city of Pigsburg, which was hidden somewhere on the world's largest pig farm, and followed the daily lives of its inhabitants as they fight against the villainous Wolf Brothers, hilariously named Huff and Puff, and various other threats to their society. If you think about it too much though, this was a pretty dark series. Taking place on a pig farm as it did, I imagine there were quite a few citizens of the city disappearing randomly, plus the main characters were named the Bacon Brothers. The whole thing just seems kind of wrong looking back on it now. And that brings us to my usual final category, action. 1990 didn't give us a lot to talk about here, but there were a few. Let's start with, really, another anthropomorphic animal series? Listen, I, I know Hanna-Barbera had been doing these types of characters since the 60s, but the Ninja Turtles just threw that door wide freaking open, didn't they? Anyway, this one, like the Pigsburg Pigs, focused its lineup on the farm. 
Barnyard Commandos was the story of a couple of sets of farm animals mutated by some form of radiation to become intelligent humanoid pig and sheep people. Sounds kind of familiar. Then, just like humans famously do, they split into two factions and started waging war against each other. Sorry, got a little dark there. Moving on with the comedic war story, though. The factions were the Rebel Army of Military Sheep and the Platoon of Rebel Killer Swine, otherwise known as the Rams and the Porks. The war really didn't have a purpose or an inciting incident and was more just there to be there, I guess. Maybe because the radioactive waste that changed them came from a military experiment. Whatever the case, the show was fun and the toys looked cool, and that was enough. The next action series we got this year was a return of 80s cartoon royalty. A less than triumphant return, but a return nonetheless. The new adventures of He-Man took every 80s kid's favorite super strong magical warrior and, well, summoned him to a different planet, while at the same time turning him from a power lifter to a crossfit bro. And maybe giving him a Kingdom Hearts Keyblade? Yeah, in this series, things like Eternia, Castle Grayskull, Battle Cat, the Masters of the Universe, you know, small story elements like that, were all missing. What wasn't missing, though, was Skeletor, who took advantage of the fact He-Man had been summoned away from Eternia to conquer the planet. No, wait. He took the opportunity to follow He-Man and harass him on the new planet. I guess what I'm saying is that this series was a poor imitation of the original that really didn't care about the lore the way most fans would have wanted, which is probably why it only lasted a single season. Our last action series of the year was probably my favorite release from 1990 overall, and it brought significant change along with it. Talspin is the return of the Jungle Book characters that I'd mentioned previously, but not as normal animals in a jungle. Instead, this one took the characters and put them in the setting of a human-looking island city straight out of a mid-century serial. It cast Baloo the Bear as a bush pilot flying freight for a small transport company, Sher Khan as an evil business tycoon, and King Louie as the owner of a hopping tiki bar. It also filled out the roster with new characters, like Baloo's boss Rebecca, his sidekick Kit Cloudkicker, my personal favorite character, the mechanic Wildcat, and a crew of really cool air pirates led by the dashing Don Carnage. What a great show full of awesome aerial combat, high-flying adventures, and Kit literally surfing on clouds. I really love this one. The best part is that with its premiere came the launch of the Disney Afternoon, a programming block consisting at the time of Tailspin, DuckTales, Rescue Rangers, and the Gummy Bears. What an awesome thing to come home to after a long day of school and a great way to unwind. It would have a rotating lineup over the years, but it was always consistently great. For me, it ran from 3 to 5 every weekday and always gave me something to look forward to. So where can I watch these shows, I hear you ask? Well, a good number of them you can't, at least not officially, because they either never got a home release or they're out of print. The series in that sorry state include Barnyard Commandos, Gravedale High, Kid and Play, Little Rosie, Midnight Patrol Adventures in the Dream Zone, New Kids on the Block, Pigsburg Pigs, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, Wake, Rattle, and Roll, Widget the World Watcher, Peter Pan and the Pirates, and The Power Team. I'd recommend starting your search here on YouTube for those, as I know that some of them are here in their entirety. There are some other series from the year that can be streamed easily enough, though. The Adventures of Super Mario Bros. 3 has an out-of-print DVD, but it can be streamed on Prime Video. Same with Captain Planet and the Planeteers. The Adventures of Don Coyote and Sancho Panda is available on Prime Video also. Tiny Toons Adventures in Bobby's World are the last ones here available on Prime Video, with Tiny Toons on Apple TV as well, or both can be picked up on DVD. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures are on Pluto, which also has Swamp Thing, Tubi, and the Roku channel. The New Adventures of He-Man is on Peacock, and The Wizard of Oz is on Hoopla, which is one I've never heard of before. This year's Merry Melodies was reruns of older Looney Tunes, so those are literally everywhere. Okay, no, not literally. You can all leave me alone on that one. But you understand. 
Tailspin is available both on Disney Plus and on DVD, and Tom and Jerry's Kids is on Boomerang, with at least part of the series on DVD as well. Lastly, there's at least one volume of Zazu U still available on DVD, but nowhere else that I could find. And that does it for our first steps into the new decade. I don't know about you all, but I personally think it was a way better start than the 80s got. Plus, most of these shows actually felt like 90s shows. There really wasn't much of a transition period here, and we just kind of hit the ground running. It's going to be fun as we go through to see if we keep up the pace. What did you cartoon fans out there think about this year, though? I'll always hold a preference for a lot of the cartoons from the 80s, but there are definitely some shows from the 90s to love, and a few of them were on this list. Let me know your thoughts and whether you're looking forward to the decade in the comments. Thanks for watching, everyone. Stay tuned and stay tuned, as in cartoons. Later. Later.